Welcome to the Business B-Side Podcast with Kim Westland. This is where we discover the stories of the people behind their businesses and inspiration for how their story might fuel yours. We're giving a voice to their B-Side where the grit and the good stuff are. Let's flip the record over and pick up the conversation. Thank you for taking the time to join us and welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you here. Today, we're channeling the B-side of Jan Eden. She is the founder at 21st Century Executive Mindset. And Jan, I met you a few years ago, and I was absolutely taken aback at your approach to networking and connecting with a greater community. You know, I've encountered many people in my travels that are incredibly social and, and maybe extroverted when it comes to gathering with others but you take this to a whole new level of connecting. And you've also been in the coaching business for over 30 years, and I consider you one of the pioneers in the industry. And I'm so excited to welcome you and talk with you today. So welcome, Jan. Well, thank you, Kim. I'm so happy, you know, that you asked me to do this today. Absolutely. So happy to have you here. I want to dive in, but I want to start with you telling us a little bit about your business. So we have a bit of context to go on here. Okay. Yeah. So I've been an executive coach for some time now. And so I specialize in developing an executive mindset, which is based on the 21st century and looking at what we need to leave behind in the 20th century. Besides that, I also do advanced programs for selling and developing business development people, which are two different things. Sales and BD are two different avenues of effort. And then I work with professionals who are looking to transition their careers. So what happens is a, um, a dentist or a lawyer or someone that's been practicing for some time and they, they want to change direction, but they don't know what direction to take. So what they do is they hire me, we explore what possibilities are there, and we start a, a whole new avenue of career choices for them that end up being pretty unbelievable. And so they don't have to depend on one option in their careers. Right. Okay. Well, that gives us some great context for our conversation. And I want us to maybe go back a few years. And I would love for you to share what your life looked like as you thought about starting your business. And again, I mentioned you've been doing this for over 30 years. So tell us a bit about how you got started. Yeah, prior to starting my business that I've been doing since then, I found myself as a single mother with four children. And that was very daunting. And the fear at the time was, you know, getting hired and being able to take care of my children at the same time. To give you an example, having four and five years, you know, if they got sick or there were some challenges and I had to constantly phone in to work and, you know, have reason to not show up really was daunting for me. So I knew that I had to take another path. Um, So in my career previous to having my children, I had built a strong reputation as a creative sales and marketing person working with Four Seasons Hotels. I was purposely the youngest person uh, invited to the decision-making table. The executive team sought out my counsel on many different levels, especially to help the hotel chain grow. And what was interesting at the time, I think I learned naivety is a strength and a limitation. 
because I came in not knowing what I didn't know. And I just allowed my intuition or my passion for the Four Seasons Hotel to explode. And I showed up with an abundance of ideas. And after sharing them, I was given the green light and told to put a budget together and make it happen. And to this day, many of my unique initiatives still exist in the hotel industry. Oh, wow. And then being so young at the time, I didn't realize that this was unusual developing these initiatives and they would end up being timeless. So that was when you think of starting a career and you're passionate and you're offering value and people are willing to listen and then let you execute. And then you look back and you go, whoa, you had no idea that they were extraordinary things that you had offered and that they respected it and and allowed it to happen. And I believe being in the Four Seasons was the foundation of my business growth learning about business growth, because I was also included in the international growth initiatives of how the Four Seasons expanded, which was fascinating. And of course, I was offered a job in Washington, D.C. to open up the hotel, but because I was pregnant with my third child, it was impossible for me to go. And I often wonder if If I had stayed on that career path, you know, it it would have been the most exciting thing for me because I was so in love with Four Seasons Hotels. And I think anyone that stays at a Four Seasons understands why I'm so in love with them because they have incredible values. They treat their employees as first class customers and they exceed expectations and they do everything first class and it's consistent and they have a recipe that I think other companies need to adapt. So, so just that foundation. And then my ex-husband was a very prominent international contract lawyer. And I would go to dinner parties and meet CEOs and executives of companies. And I, you know, without realizing it through osmosis, I was listening and learning how vulnerable uh, CEOs and executives were. And I think that added to what I do today is because I saw firsthand that being at the top is very volatile, especially in public companies where you're an employed CEO and you're looking at shareholder value. And and if things go south, you go south. So there's no reprieve. So I think those two components, my values were established through Four Seasons and growing companies. And then my ex-husband and his clients gave me a foundation of understanding. And I think without realizing it at the time that they were planting seeds, these areas were planting seeds that gave me the confidence to step out and become an executive coach and develop executives within companies. So how I graduated from that is in the mid nineties, every January to keep myself moving forward and learning, I would write down my fears and build a strategy around overcoming those fears. Interesting. Yeah. And it was challenging, trust me, because, you know, when you're fearing something that you want to conquer, you really have to be diligent because it's very easy to, to give it up. So one of the fears at that time was public speaking. And For a lot um, of people. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and it is daunting. There's a mechanism in public speaking to be prepared and, you know, have stimulating and charismatic content and to really become the receiver of the information. So what I did without realizing it is I manifested a job where I became in the first year of engagement, the top salesperson of a credible international diamond company. 
And at their annual convention of 3,000 people from all over the world, I was asked to do a keynote and to share how my thinking differently about selling allowed me to earn the status. I earned all sorts of prizes. I bought a car. I, I think I made almost close to $400,000 in commissions. And I, I was a novelty in what they normally would, how they would do things. Mm-hmm. And so I had to put a speech together. So I worked for weeks putting this content together. And the day of, I lost my glasses. So I, I couldn't read the notes and I was panicked. And knowing my fear, when I stood on the stage, I threw my pages to the side and spoke from my heart. And to this day, I don't remember what I said, but I got a standing ovation and became a professional speaker from that event and built a product called Setting Up for Success. And over three years, I traveled throughout North America, speaking two weekends a month to hundreds of people, getting them prepared. And at that time, there was no language about entrepreneurship. And there was such a thirst in the audience of people wanting to do something different. And they had great ideas and they didn't know how to get started. And I became famous overnight, basically helping all these people. And so taking that initiative and building this business, a speaking business, I would get on an airplane after three days working with 300 people, because that was my requirement. I wanted a tier theater and maximum 300 participants. And then I would work them because I visually knew that that's how many people I wanted to speak to. And they would always accommodate that wherever I went, all the cities I went to. And then I would get on the airplane and go back to Calgary And I felt empty. Like I I realized it wasn't enough. Like I was taking these people on a journey, but I was leaving and they were going to be disadvantaged in my mind, you know, by not continuing. And I know what people are like. They get excited about something and then they put it on the back burner. Mm -hmm. So what I did at, at a few of the events, I would stay a week longer and I would work one hour with each participant. And I would take what they learned and then intuitively build a roadmap for them so that at least they weren't encumbered in any way. And they had a plan to move forward. And then again, I get on the airplane and I go, no, there's something missing. I'm not really connecting. And I realized that it it would take 12 months for someone, a minimum of 12 months to really gain momentum and really start to see evidence of movement of something happening. And I still maintain that model till this day. Wow. You've just packed so much into what you've just said. I mean, we could go off in a million different directions, but you started off as a single parent of four young kids and that's challenging all on its own, but you've just dove into kind of your coaching strategy. And I mean, there is so much in there, Jan, that I would love to unpack. I want to divert to another question I have which is around being one of the first women in this industry. And I just want to celebrate you, first of all, for that. But I want you to tell us a little bit about that challenge and how did you carve out your path? Now, you've just said so much about how you approached your clients individually, but how is you as a woman in that industry? How did you kind of carve that path out? Tell us. Well, because I realized that they needed support, these participants and the workshops I created needed support. 
I didn't understand coaching. There was nothing available when I did. And this is pre-internet. So there was no searching Google or trying right. to find competitors. And I only found one at the time was Dan Sullivan. And he focused on insurance agents. And he was very successful. So that was the only person I found, particularly no women, that were visible that I could actually find. Uh, there were probably others, but they weren't as visible. So when I decided to go in a, in a direction that is very prominent today, there's a, a coaching industry that you know has exploded since then, and sure. which I believe when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So whoever the coach might be or whatever they're offering is valuable because there's another human wanting to help another human. And I think that is super wonderful. We all need help. We can't do anything by ourselves and we need support. So when I you know, realized that there was a need and living in Calgary, I needed to do market research. I, I needed to feel comfortable that there was a market, that there was a need. So I, I knew People knew me in Calgary, so I didn't want to do the market research here. So I picked Ottawa as I believe was the least entrepreneurial city at the time. Interesting. And yeah, and I, I went to the library, went to the central library, and I researched 100 companies located in Ottawa. And I wrote the business owner, each business owner, a handwritten letter introducing myself and what I was offering. And then I would be at the Laurentian Club over three days. And I would be available from 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. And I would be serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I did this because I didn't want them to say no. So if I covered everything, like if I said, <laughs> I said, meet me at two o'clock in the afternoon, they would say, well, sorry, I'm busy. I've got a meeting. So I wanted to make sure that I was going to create curiosity, enough curiosity that, and the Laurentian Club was a, a pretty established place in Ottawa. So I knew that that venue would attract people too. So 50 people came from the hundred and nobody ate breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And 10 signed a one-year contract on the spot after meeting them and having a conversation. And I was so nervous of how to get paid. This is how naive I was, that I had them write 12 post-dated checks so that I was guaranteed that I was going to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I started my business. That's how I started my executive coaching business. Oh, wow. And, you know, you say that, and I mean, just to think about pre-internet world, I think that just seems like a million years ago as well. But some of these strategies that you've used, I think you're still using today very effectively. And I just find it fascinating just how you approached getting your first clients. That is so inspirational, Jan. How do you... Well, you're the product. You are the product in your business. And I want to know, you know, you've taken such a personal approach to how you do business. How do you really today market yourself effectively and really maintain your visibility? Because back then, you know, you had one strategy. Do you still use that today or what is your approach? Well, I've been very, very fortunate that most of my business comes from referrals. Hmm. And it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. And I've been very, very blessed. And I'm super grateful for that. And so my practice is custom designed. So I can only work with so many people because the work is so intense. 
and we have a finish line that we have to achieve. So it's full on. And I only work with people who are totally committed to themselves in achieving their finish line. So when I think about marketing myself, I look at how to give back. I look at, first of all, I'm super creative when it comes to doing things. And I'm very bold. I call myself graciously bold. What I look for when I'm doing my research is I put together a list of executives, professionals, and companies that I feel would, first of all, want to meet me because of who I know, because I have such an accomplished database of incredible people, and I love connecting people. So my first rule of thumb is what can I give them? You know, what can I offer And then how I introduce myself to them is quite unique. So I have a few standard things that I do that are so far, nobody's copied me. I've even said, hey, try this, it works. But people look at me like I'm from Mars. Um, (laughs) and, and And it's just being gracious and honoring people. But I have these birthday cards. So they're a number from 1 to 31. So when I'm doing my research, I look for their birthday. And if I can find their address, I always say something complimentary about what they've achieved or who they are. And, you know, after doing, you know, digging into their journey, I'll say, if you're available, I would very much like to meet you for coffee or invite you to one of my events and continue our conversation. So that's been very, very effective. And then, of course, they either reach out or they don't. And one thing I've learned, they either connect or they don't connect. I'm not going to try to convince them to meet with me. I just let it flow. But the majority of people do thank me and they, they're blown away by the fact that I would even know their birthday and I would know so much about them. And then if they have a significant anniversary or promotion, I have these fun champagne cards, congratulations cards that I send out. And they love them because they make this noise like the champagne's popping. And again, I do a covering letter congratulating them and asking to meet with them. And then if it's a significant promotion, like people becoming a CEO, I have a lunch or dinner in their honor. I just did one for Miss Jack Mawaba from Bow Valley College and invited some incredible people to come and celebrate him. And otherwise, who's going to celebrate people? So I kind of taken this on as a mission. And then when a female achieves something super significant, I actually order embossed stationery from the U.S. with their name on it and send it to them because I know they got a lot of thank yous to give to people. And then if I get hired, it's a bonus. But that's kind of in my mantra. There's other things I do that to honor people. But I, I think one of my biggest values is honoring people. And it's fun. Oh, yeah. You know, you said in there that you're graciously bold. And I can't think of a better way to describe you. There's such a lost art, I feel, for truly honoring people, but not with you. You have not lost that. That is something so unique to you, Jan. I, when I think about honor, I think about how you treat people. And, and you're just such a natural connector. And I have to tell a little story here, if I could, of my own personal experience with you along the way. This was a few years ago now, but I remember it like it was yesterday. You hosted an event called The Kim Effect, and I'll maybe let you 
tell us how that came about. But my experience with that is I got to sit in a room with, I think there were probably around eight or so other Kims, which was really unique. That's never happened to me in my life before, sit in a, a room full of Kims. And we got to meet each other and you just orchestrated this event to pull us all in a room to first of all, honor and value us. I have never felt that way at a dinner party before. You made me feel so special. And I know I can probably speak for everybody else in the room, they felt the same way. And I left that night, all of the special things that you did. In fact, I still have, I'm showing a picture. Uh, It's a drawing that you had done of me. And as you did with all of the guests, It was just one of the special touches that you put on that evening. And I have to say that has stuck with me like none other. You just blew me out of the water. So I want you to maybe share a little bit about that event. And you're just so creative in the way that you pulled all that together. Tell us how that happened. Okay. Well, I was reorganizing my contact list and I realized I knew all these Kims (laughs) (laughs) it was was so astounding like I you know because you don't really pay attention until you're you've seen them in alphabetical order and I thought wow that's so cool so I was just inspired to create an event and invite all the Kims I knew and what was interesting most of the people didn't know one another so that was also another benefit but I realized that just from that event how wonderful it was to bring a group together There's only one thing I missed because we had it at the Eden restaurant, my son's restaurant. And my son, it was funny anyway, he said, well, one thing you missed, you should have had their name tags. And they were all, (laughs) and I thought, yeah, that would have been so cool. And I've been, you know, pestered by other people saying, how come you're not going to do a Bob event or a Dan event? And I'm going, well, I don't know enough Dan's and Bob. to to actually create it so it was it was a a unique experience to to actually see it and then put it together and then have fun and then the placemats had I had Kim K-I-M and I had K-K for kind I for innovative and M for magical and then I brought in um, a magician to I remember magical magical side of everyone but Everyone in that room was a, is a unique, spectacular person. I just felt inspired to do it. That's all. It was just, I do things on impulse and, and I always follow through on them. And that was one of the more special things I've done. Oh, your attention to detail is like none other. And I will say, you know, just the fact that you broke our name out, K-I-M, and had something attached to each one of those letters too. I mean, it's just incredible, incredible. You know, I want to, I actually want to ask you about, you know, the many peaks and valleys that you've experienced in your 30 plus years in this industry and in your role as an executive coach. What do you think if you were just to describe maybe your highest peak and your lowest valley, what would they be? Well, I think the highest has been all the successes that that's kind of kept me going is first of all, being self-made like I'm self-made, when I decide to do something, I see it through. So the the highest peaks have been in service to others and being the silent partner, by the way, and actually achieving in remarkable outcomes that without the two of us, like when two or more are gathered, you know, magic happens. And that's what keeps me going. It's contagious. 
and it's phenomenal and it's a lot of work but those would be my highest peaks there's just so many I, I can't just pull one out yeah and what about your lowest valley well there's a couple there's probably many more than than that but you know one was putting the Eden group together I went out and sought out other professionals and CFOs and fractional CFOs fractional CEOs and and various people to complement what I was doing in my business. And what happened was, which I think a lot of people that form these type of groups is they're like little birds wanting to be fed. And so I was the only one bringing in the business and they were benefiting from it, but they weren't bringing in the business themselves. So that dismantled because I could see that I had the wrong people. And I find a lot of people aren't generous. They're there because they're looking for someone to do the work for them. And in this case, for sure. So that the in-group didn't get any further because what I was trying to do wasn't going to happen unless I found the right people. And then another disappointment was Smart Angels, which, you know, this is way prior to what's happening right now with this, you know, infectious entrepreneurship that's everywhere, where I created with a business partner. And I was the working person and he was the funder and I put everything together. And one was taking companies or startups and companies wanting to go to market and putting them through a very stringent vetting system and then putting together the investors. And I went across Canada and found the investors. They came in on a membership basis to see the vetted companies that they would definitely probably invest in because there was such a, a difficult investing opportunity for these companies to go through. The investor, I was blindsided where he decided to go in a different direction the day that I was launching in Toronto. In fact, I was going to move to Toronto because most of my investors were in Toronto. And we were going to do the opening launch at the Canoe Restaurant at the top of the TD Center. And the day before that was going to happen, he pulled the plug and left me you know, abandoned uh, going forward. So that was very difficult. It took me a long time to rebound from that and rebuild my practice. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's important to share these things as well, that it's part of the journey to explore the peaks and valleys because every entrepreneur has them. And it's kind of what made you, you today. And uh, I just want to thank you for sharing that with us all. You know, speaking of entrepreneurship, I would say that we're kind of in this place right now where it's on the rise. And as we are recording this podcast, the big conversation is around the great resignation. And I want to know, Jan, with all your experience and all your years doing what you're doing, and you're so accomplished, what advice would you give to someone looking to maybe exit the corporate world and become an entrepreneur? Well, what I found is most people that are wanting to be an entrepreneur are not CEOs. They're idea people or inventors. And to run a company, you need to have uh, CEO capabilities. And that is not taught. It's assumed when somebody starts a business that they're going to be able to manage it. They're going to be able to think like an executive. And unfortunately, a lot of them don't make it. In fact, I just did some stats in September and 65,000 companies started up in Canada this year. That was in September. 
and three out of four fail. So when I talk to people, I put the fear of God into them, actually, um, because I've seen so many failures and I've seen I've seen the worst of the worst. And rarely does somebody come out the other side. And you can have a hundred in entrepreneurs and interview them and every single one has a different journey and we think the roadmap like you go to all these trainings and incubators and startup courses and universities and, and colleges but if you actually did the research and you actually interviewed everyone you would find that there is no straight line of how they got to a finish line and just the stress of not knowing what you don't know and having to fail to learn, because even if you read or learn about what other people do, it won't fit for you because right. you're on your own journey. So I don't work with startups on purpose because one of the biggest challenges is, and I, I always say to them right from the very beginning, you're going to need way more money than you think you're going to need at this point. And you have to figure that out first before you even consider becoming an entrepreneur. Secondly, you got to know whether there's a customer. But, you know, who's going to buy it? Who's going to engage? It doesn't matter what the, what the product or service is. We have to start with, with the money and the customer. Otherwise, you're kidding yourself. We need to solve that right at the beginning. So everyone goes to their family and friends. And I've seen the disasters in families where people have written checks, given money, and the company has failed. And they don't talk to each other anymore. It's devastating. And everybody's, you know, they're in this romanticism at the beginning. Everyone's high. I call it the entrepreneur high. And everyone can only see the good things. They can only see, you know, they're going to succeed. And I think that's wonderful. You have to be positive, but you also have to have common sense and be super intelligent as to what it's going to take. And because I've seen so many of the failures and the caution is, are you capable of doing the work? And when you take other people's money, you need to respect that money as if it's your own. And I find a lot of entrepreneurs don't. And it's, it really bothers me is that they, they just think money grows on trees. So I say, you're going to need to know the money on the journey. So let's get to know them right now. Let's look at your value proposition, your MVP. Who cares about what you have and would they write a check? And I think by starting that way, will either encourage or discourage someone going further. Because if they can't raise capital on the long term, they're not going to make it. And if they don't have a customer who's willing to buy, so we would work with those two parts right at the beginning to flush that out, to help them to understand what they're trying to communicate and whether anybody cares. That is such great advice, Jan. And, and I like that you unpacked it a little bit and just told it like it is. I think that conversation probably needs to happen a whole lot more. You know, when you mentioned stats and I think you said three out of four entrepreneurs fail at their business. And I think I heard it's within the first five years. So it's staggering. You're right. People need to know what they're getting into. They need to respect that money process and I think what you just laid out there is such valuable advice. So thank you for that. Just kind of as we get closer to wrapping here, I always like to ask here at the Business B side, since we value story so much, how important is it for your personal story that you shared and your values 
to connect to your business and what you do every day? Well, I think I'm, I'm living it. I'm authentic in what I do because of the results. But, you know, rarely, like this is the first time I've, I've done a podcast and actually shared part of my story. I find that I use a lot of my experience and knowledge and intelligence from all the people I've worked with to achieve for others because I have this 30 years of unbelievable experience. So it quickens the results for clients because I, I'm not milking the file. We have a, a job to do. We have to achieve what we set out to do. And that's, you know, if a person's willing, we get there faster. The key mm-hmm. is to keeping it going. It's not so much achieving it, but how can we sustain? How can we keep what they want to do going so that they know that they can depend on the work that we've done together and that it will be fulfilling for longer than just something they feel they have to do in the moment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so much today. And I just want to say a personal thank you for being on this podcast and allowing me to be the first person to dive into this with you. I'm so honored. What's next for you, Jan, on this journey that you're on? Well, I've been doing events for several years now. For 30 years, I've been doing a new Calgarian event where I, in my research, I hear of a new CEO or executive coming to town. And I write them a beautiful letter saying, you know, welcome to Calgary. You know, I'd like to do a lunch or dinner in your honor. And we have some special guests that will be attending. And people just fall off their chairs. They can't believe that there's a dinner in their honor. And then I bring, I think you were at one this year. And what happens is we've welcomed this amazing guest who's come from someplace else and they immediately are integrated into our culture in Calgary which I believe is very hospitable and then also I created the conversations that matter and this is a platform I've been doing for the last six years and a lot of experts have emerged from this where it was designed for my clients to have a safe space to present to a warm audience. So we do a similar thing. We do lunches and dinners and they present what we're working on to get feedback and celebrate. And what I'm planning to do, because I've got this inventory of of incredible presenters, including others other than my clients, I'm creating a company called Thai Talks. And Thai stands for Technology Inspiration Education. And I'm just putting a formula together to go and bring these presenters into companies, especially the timing where people are coming back to their office and there's a hybrid system where some people are still working at home, but bringing information to keep the company relevant and keep their employees relevant as to what's going on around them. So that's one of my latest projects that I'm working on. And at the same time, maintaining these conversations that matter. In fact, I've done 15 since September, 15 really? uh, lunch and dinner events. Yeah. And people are just like thriving off of it. And they can, in fact, tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday, I'm, I've got 20 people coming to hear an entrepreneur, a seasoned entrepreneur that has an incredible story to tell. So that's kind of taken on a life of its own. So then there's another thing that I bumped into that my daughter in Vancouver introduced me to, and it's healing with sound. And it's called Viroacoustics. And it's a a technology that is a sound frequency that works through transducers and creates a vibration of healing. 
and I'm incorporating that into my practice for mental health, giving people an opportunity to ground and feel, come in with intention and utilize this technology. And and I'm, I'm just experimenting with it. So I'm not sure how it's going to unfold. I have been on the machine. I was the first in Canada to go on it. And I can tell you, it's, it is unbelievable. I'm just exploring it. So there's not much I can share at the moment. But those are the two things I'm, I'm getting focused on going forward. Well, you have so much going on, man. You, you had a whole list of projects that you have going on there. Obviously, COVID has not slowed you down much, it sounds like. So good for you. Okay, as we wrap, where can we find you, Jan? What's your website? JanEden.com. Simple, simple, janeden.com. For those of you that want to reach out to this incredible woman doing incredible things with executives and beyond. Jan, I just want to thank you so much for joining this podcast. It has been my honor, my pleasure in talking with you today and sharing some of your B-side. And of course, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Uh, Wouldn't be the same without you. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Business B-Side Podcast with Kim Westland. This broadcast is sponsored by Channel One Productions, a company dedicated to helping people succeed through coaching, crafting stories, and creating solutions. You can reach out anytime, Kim at channel1.ca, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to The Business B-Side on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your own favorite podcatcher. Catch you next time on The B-Side.